reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. Um, Over the course of Lent, we're going to hear a lot of stories from Luke, but this one is from Luke chapter 9. It's verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed and broke them and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we turn to another uh, meal story in the gospel of Jesus breaking bread with people, dining with people, and for this entire sermon series during the season of Lent, seven weeks leading up to Easter, we're looking at the stories of Jesus eating, dining with people in the gospel of Luke. There, there are um, actually nine stories, meal stories, but two of them are really kind of more just like a little nod, so seven meal stories in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus eating with people, the disciples, the Pharisees, the multitude. Last week we were in Simon the Pharisee's house with a woman with an alabaster jar, and today we're out, uh, out in the fields with a large crowd of people. And as we're thinking about these stories, we're also remembering how uh, some of the most important events that happen in our lives take place around meals as well. I shared about Um, My first date with Devin took place at a little restaurant. We talk about our weddings or um, when we celebrate major accomplishments in our lives. It's always around a meal. And uh, and the same was true in in Jesus' life as well. So you might remember from last week the Latin word for breaking bread with someone is the word companere. And that's where we get our word for companion. And so Jesus was companioning with people as he was eating with them um, during his, his ministry. And today we turn to this story of Jesus breaking bread with 5,000 people. Actually, um, it's, it's 5,000 men and plus women and children. There might have been something closer to about 10,000 people um, on this particular day. But let's just say 5,000 for, for as Luke does. Um, and as we think about this story, I want 
want to remind you that each one of the gospel writers, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of the gospel writers records the life of Jesus a little bit differently, picking and choosing from the events of his life that they remember and his teachings to, uh, and putting together a different combination from one another. And you put all the gospel accounts together and it provides a, a more whole picture of the life of Jesus. For instance, only in um, Matthew and Luke do we read about the birth of Jesus, but not in Mark or John. John is the only one of the four who records um, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The Sermon on the Mount is only found in the Gospel of Matthew, but Luke records about half of that sermon, but he says it takes place not up on a mountain, but in a wide open plain. Um, and there are theological reasons that the Gospel writers choose to do these various things. But one thing that all four writers included in their Gospel accounts is this story of the feeding of the 5,000. It was too important a story to leave out, too important in the life of Jesus, too important in the life of the church uh, to leave this story out. It was a story about Jesus' ability to provide for the needs of people, and not only for their spiritual needs, but for their physical, very human needs as well. When they were sick, Jesus healed them. When they were sad, Jesus blessed them. When they were hungry, Jesus fed them. It's so important that not only is it recorded in all four Gospels, it's actually the only miracle other than the resurrection that's recorded in all four Gospels. And not only that, but it's actually recorded six times in the Gospels because there is another story recorded in two of the Gospels where Jesus feeds 4,000 people instead of five. And Matthew and Mark record that account. So six feeding feedings of the multitudes in four Gospel accounts with just a handful of loaves and some fish. Why was this story so important? Why was it important for the early church? Why was it important uh, back then and why is it important today? And so that's what we're exploring this morning. Uh, the story happens in a town called Bethsaida. I want to turn to a little biblical geography for us this morning. So if you can take a look at this map of the Holy Land, you can see here um, that big body of water on the west is the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, to the east of the shore of the Mediterranean, you can see two bodies of water separated by a river. You have the Sea of Galilee to the north, and you have the Dead Sea to the south, and what connects those two is the River Jordan. And from the, uh, from the west of the River Jordan um, all the way to the Mediterranean shore is essentially where Jesus lived his life. And so he was born in Bethlehem, which is down in Judea, um, in the region of Judea next to Jerusalem. North of Judea, you have Samaria. Remember when Jesus passes through Samaria, he visits with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Well, north of that is the Galilee region, which is where Jesus did most of his 
his ministry, his hometown. Nazareth is up there. Capernaum was his home base during his ministry. Um, and so if we zoom in a little bit closer on the Sea of Galilee, here's the northeastern shore. And uh, up to the, the northeast of that, just right off the shore there, is the town of Bethsaida. There are about three possible options of where Bethsaida was. This is the most likely. They're all, all three are actually kind of in that region. And then you can see where Capernaum is um, around the bend. And so Jesus uh, says to his disciples, they're in Capernaum, their home base for ministry. Jesus says, let's go get away for a little while. Let's just go have some time. Let's have a day of rest. Let's get away from the crowds. Let's get away from the burdens. Let's get away from all the work and just rest for a day. Well, why would they do that? Well, I'll get to that in a sec. So they get into a boat and they set sail across the Sea of Galilee, probably following the shoreline pretty closely. And they intend to have this day of rest there um, in Bethsaida. And then there's the Golan Heights beyond, out beyond that. And the interesting thing is, is that if you're going across the Sea of Galilee on a little boat, there and you're and other people are on the on land you can see that little boat going across the lake and so likely they're the people who are the crowds who have been following him they're on land and they can they they see Jesus and their disciples in their little boat taking off on their way to you know Bethsaida and, uh, and, and so what do they do? They decide to go where Jesus is going. They want to see Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. They want Jesus to heal their loved ones. And so the crowd follows, follows them on foot and arrives in Bethsaida about the same time that Jesus and his disciples um, do. And instead of having a nice, you know, quiet time together, there are 5,000 people there waiting, 10,000 people there waiting for them to arrive. And by the way, it takes about a two-hour walk to walk from Capernaum to Bethsaida, about four or five hours from Tiberias, which is around to the west. Here's a close-up of the ruins, um, modern day uh, close-up of the, the ruins. You can actually go and visit that. And it's likely very possible that Jesus fed all these thousands of people on this uh, open space of land. A little bit of context, by this time in, in the story of Jesus journeying with the disciples for his three years of ministry, the disciples had just returned to him. Jesus had sent the disciples out in pairs two by two, to go into the towns, to cast out demons, to teach about the kingdom of God, and to heal people who were sick. They just get back from that. We don't know how long they were gone, presumably several weeks, and they're exhausted. They're tired. They've been out there doing God's work without their rabbi, and now they need some time to kind of process their experience with their rabbi who they haven't seen for several weeks. They need to rest. They need a little moment. And not only that, but Jesus has been ministering to the crowds while his disciples were gone, presumably by himself. But not only that, right before this happens, Jesus had just gotten word that his cousin, his companion, his prophet, John the Baptist, 
had just been beheaded in an atrocious murder um, to satisfy a drunken, lustful desire of King Herod. And so Jesus is grieving, we can expect. They're tired. They're exhausted. They just need a moment away. And Jesus says this to him. And here's Mark. Here's how he puts it in Mark. To the disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So they get away from the crowds, they get into their boat, they head over to Bethsaida. Well, why Bethsaida? Luke doesn't tell us why, but what we do know is that Bethsaida was the hometown of Simon Peter and Andrew and Philip. And so it was maybe for that reason that they went to Bethsaida, because they were familiar and they could find a place uh, where they could get away. So let me just pause here for a moment and ask, have you ever felt burnt out before? Have you ever felt exhausted, uh, like you just need a personal day or a vacation day because you've given everything you've had, whether it is at your workplace or with your family, with your children, or as a caregiver to someone in need? Well, that's what they were, that's what they were feeling. They, like they had nothing left. And when they get there to Bethsaida, there are 5,000 people waiting. Now, do you think they were excited about this? In, in modern world, we call that a mega church. Yeah, look at our numbers, how many people we have. There's 5,000, there's 10,000 people. You think they were excited about their growing numbers of their congregation? No, they were not excited about this. They were frustrated, I'm guessing. Like, really, seriously, can't we just have one day to ourselves away from the crowd? And yet Jesus responds in this way. Mark tells us, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He's grieving the loss of John the Baptist who just had his head chopped off. And they're exhausted, and yet he has compassion for them. Luke tells us Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. Wow. As you think about this story, there, there are a few different ways of looking at it, and one of those might be to think about this idea of being weary and grieving and burned out and still needing to give yourself away to people who are in need. And you know, some people would read this and would say, you know, Jesus didn't have very good boundaries. You know, he had poor boundaries. I mean, he could have said, and maybe he should have said, you know what, guys, you know, 5,000 people, I'm off today. I can't help you. Just come back tomorrow and, uh, you know, we'll deal with it then. But he didn't do that. Instead, he was concerned for the people, for who they, where they were at in life. And, and this is one thing that we notice in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is always paying attention. And much of the most, many of the most important things that happen in Jesus' ministry are interruptions that happen as he's carrying out other plans to do other things. And I'm going to suggest that that's, that's true in our lives as well. I think it was John Lennon who wrote in a song, Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. 
And I find this to be true in my own life as well. We set out on our plans, we make our plans, and yet it's the interruptions to those plans that is where the life really happens. I mean, just on this past Tuesday, I was um, writing my sermon and I was literally developing this particular thought about Jesus being willing every once in a while to let go of his boundaries in order to take care of someone in need. And I got a phone call uh, to visit somebody in the hospital. Fortunately, my head was in a good place because I was studying in this text. And so, of course, I dropped it and I went. And, um, and no question that that was the right thing to do. Sometimes those, call, those calls come at night or on my day off. And it's a lot more difficult to respond to it. But there have to be times when I'm ready and willing to go um, no matter what I'm, I'm experiencing at home. And... Uh, and so here's what I'm saying. Pay attention, pay attention uh, to the interruptions because sometimes the most important things that happen are the interruptions. The most important miracle story in the life of Jesus happened when he was uh, executing other plans, when he was busy for a day of retreat and all this. All right, here's the second thing I'd encourage you. Uh, if, if we were to look at this another way, we could think about how this story um, uh, brings us back to stories from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible. There are parallels in the Hebrew Bible. Um, many things that Jesus does are paralleled in the Old Testament. And so in 2 Kings, there's the story of Elisha. And uh, he was one of the great prophets. You know, there was Elijah and then there was Elisha. And Elisha was tasked at one moment of, of uh, feeding 100 people with 20 barley loaves that he had. 20 barley loaves, 100 people. How is he going to do that? He's not sure how he's going to do that, but somehow miraculously, Elisha was able to feed those 100 people with those 20 loaves of barley. And afterwards, it says there were leftovers. Does that remind you of anything? It sounds kind of like our story today, right? Um, except that Jesus didn't have 20 loaves to feed 100 people. He had five loaves to feed 5,000 people. Well, what does that say about Jesus and Elijah? Like maybe there is one who is greater than Elijah who is in our midst. And the message there this, uh, is, is pointing towards the, the fact that God takes what little we have and multiplies it. It's a beautiful message. Or we could look at this in terms of Moses, Moses' story. So much of Jesus' life is paralleled in the Moses story. And so Moses leads the children of Israel out of slavery. And on their way to the promised land, they're in the wilderness. And they got to be there for 40 years. And do you remember the very first thing that they started grumbling about in the wilderness? What are we going to eat out here? And Moses is like, yeah. And so he goes to God and he's like, yeah, what are we going to eat out here? You know, help me out. And God says, uh, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I've got it covered. Uh, when you go to sleep, there will be this dew that falls to the ground. And when you wake up in the morning, you will see what looks like a white crystalline kind of substance on the ground that looks like coriander. And the people will gather it up and they'll grind it and they'll make bread out of it and that's what they'll eat for the next 40 years it's called manna um, you remember what the Hebrew word for manna is what manna literally means it means what is that 
So you're going to eat, what is that, for the next 40 years? But God provided for the people in, in the wilderness. And in a deserted place, he provided for them so they were no longer hungry. Jesus is with these people in a deserted place and he provides for them so they're no longer hungry outside of Bethsaida. And, uh, and so it's hearkening back to the Moses story in the wilderness and how God provides. We're not bootstraps people. Uh, our provision is not, does not come from our own strength and our own merit. We rely on the provision of God. Um, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Jesus then takes this whole thing, uh, this story of Moses, um, and then he actually uses it to teach a deeper truth about himself with the feeding of the 5,000. And so in John's account, in chapter 6, in the telling of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus references Moses, and he says this. He says, I am the bread of life, like I am the manna in the wilderness. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And so while God provides food to sustain us in this life, Jesus says, I am the bread of life to sustain you for all eternity. And, uh, and so the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is a way of pointing to that deeper and greater truth that Christ satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. He offers us not only here and now, but life eternal in his kingdom. And that's what we remember every time we come to the table, which we will next week, when we receive the bread and the cup, we are saying, Jesus, you are the one who satisfies my deepest longing, my longing for grace, for love, for joy, for purpose for hope. That's what he brings. And the giving of the bread and the fish is a pointer to that deeper truth. So those are a few ways of, of looking at this text. Um, but I want to focus on another thing for just two minutes and then we'll conclude in a couple minutes after that. And that is the, this dimension of the story in, that is specific to Luke. In Luke 9 and in verse 12, it says this, the day was drawing to a close and the twelve came and said to him, Jesus, send this crowd away. Like, we're tired, right? Um, and so they, they, may, they can go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to lodge and get provisions. Maybe, maybe they're just saying, Jesus, just send them away because I'm exhausted. Or maybe they're actually concerned about their, about their you know, well-being. So they need food. Send them away so they can go get some food, you know. For we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Matthew's version, he says, you know, bring what little you have to me. And then Jesus creates the miracle. It's very much Matthew in the Jewish story. Luke is saying, you give them something to eat. Uh, in John's account, Philip speaks up and Philip says, Lord, we can't give them something to eat. It would take six months wages and even that wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. And then Jesus says, well, just bring me what little you have. Like it's an impossible task. Bring me what little you have. And so they brought what little they had. Five loaves of bread and two fish. What were these fish? Were they smoked fish? Were they dried fish? Were they raw fish? Were they rotten fish? We don't know. Just bring the little fish and the little, you know, loaves to Jesus. And that's what he does. That's what they do. And then he, it says that he takes the bread. 
he blesses it. That is, he gives thanks to God. He understands who the source is of this bread. He breaks it, and then he has the disciples distributed among the people. Now, that's a foreshadow of what? The Lord's Supper, where Jesus takes the, the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he sends it out to the people. By the way, that's also a pattern of your life in Christ and mine. Each and every one of us have been taken, chosen by God from the foundation of the world and blessed by God in creation um, as being made in God's image as his children. And yet we experience and participate in the brokenness of this world. We are all broken just like that bread. But nonetheless, in our brokenness, blessed by God, which is the deeper truth of who we are, Jesus sends us out, gives us a way to, to share the love of God, to, to be bread uh, for others. And so he says, go and give this to the people. One of the problems with miracles is that we wonder how it actually happened, right? That's where our brains go. Well, how in the world did this happen? Was it that they had these baskets and every time they took a loaf out of the basket, a new loaf just miraculously appeared? Or was it that they tore a piece of bread off of the loaf and then the loaf uh, completed itself again? And so there was never a loaf without more than one piece ripped off and there was never a basket. Um, that could be the way that this happened. Uh, it sort of seems that's the way it's read. Some scholars suggest that there is another miracle that also took place on that day in the hearts of people. Uh, and so of those 5,000 people who were there, there had to have been some who actually planned in advance. Like there had to have been some women who brought some food and planned in advance because the guys weren't thinking about it and they have children and they're not going to go eight hours without being able to feed their children. And so certainly people had brought some food, a couple of snacks, a, you know, a piece of bread and they were, they were protecting it for themselves and they were kind of, you know, making sure that they were going to have what they, what they needed. But they heard Jesus say, Give what little you have to these people and their hearts opened up. Uh, give away what you have to feed other people and their hearts were changed and some of those people opened up their picnic baskets and they shared what little they had. Others took things out of their pockets. Some other people who were from Bethsaida ran into town and they gathered what they could find out of their cupboards or at the store and they brought it out to share. Maybe... Maybe it was a combination of the two, something supernatural that happened, not out of the realm of Jesus or God, it's all over the scriptures, and something miraculously that also happened in the hearts of people as they were opened up by the example of Jesus to share. And you get to the end of the meal and you remember that the disciples had all this food left over when they all gave what they had. And so it's this beautiful story about kind of like the song, you know, you hold the penny in your hand and you don't have any or something and then you, you give the pennies away and there's so many more pennies rolling in. That's kind of the idea here that if you surrender what little you have to God to be used to help feed somebody else, it comes back and you find that you are blessed and your needs are cared about as well and everyone is satisfied in the end. Parker Palmer tells a story, um, I've shared this uh, a little over a year ago, in case you forgot, I hope you forgot, 
for the sake of this sermon. The story takes place um, a, a long, long time ago. You remember those days when um, security lines at airports were very you know, minimal at best, and you can pretty much bring in whatever you want onto an airplane in your briefcase or your suitcase or whatever. And, uh, and Parker was on a flight from Chicago O'Hare to Denver, and uh, they pulled out from the gate, and the plane taxied and taxied and taxied and then it stopped and then the engines shut off. The pilot came on the intercom and he said, I have some bad news. There's a storm front in the west, exactly where we're headed. Denver is shut down and socked in. We're going to be here for several hours. There are no alternatives. That's the bad news. The really bad news is we have no food on board. This was also back in the days when airplanes actually provided food, a little tray with a napkin and silverware and everything, and you'd look forward to eating something on a plane. But everyone groaned about this. Some people started getting angry. They're stuck without food for several hours on an airplane in the middle of a runway. There's nothing they can do. And one of the flight attendants stood up in the aisle and took the intercom microphone, and, and she said, we're, we're really sorry here, folks. We didn't plan it this way and we can't do anything about it. We know that for some of you, this is a really big deal. You're hungry and you were looking forward to a nice lunch. For others, you have a medical condition and you need something to eat. Some of you might not care. So I have an idea. We have a couple of empty bread baskets in the back of the plane. What we're gonna do is we're gonna send these bread baskets out through down the rows and through the aisles and, uh, and, and I want everybody to put something in the bread basket when it comes by. Um, maybe you brought a snack along, some peanut butter crackers, candy bars, some Rolaids or Lifesavers, even some chewing gum. And if you don't even have anything edible, then maybe you have a bookmark or a picture of your loved ones. Just put something in the bread basket. And when, we, when they return back to the back of the plane, we will then recollect them and then we will send them back out. And when they come down your way, take what you need and nothing else out of the basket when it comes your way. Um, and, and, and so they do this, of course. And Palmer said, what happened next was amazing. First, the complaining and griping stopped. People started to root around in their pockets and in their luggage, in their handbags and briefcases. Some people went up to the overhead luggage and, and took out things out of their bags, a dried salami, a bottle of red wine. That, that was okay back then too. Um, yeah, the world used to be a better place. Now people are laughing and talking. The flight attendant had just transformed a group of anxious people concerned about their own need, their own deprivation, their own scarcity into a gracious community of sharing and in the process created an abundance of sorts and everyone was satisfied. The flight eventually took off and it made their way and when it landed, uh, Palmer went up to that flight attendant and said, you know what you did there? Uh, there's, a, there's a story in the Bible about what you just did there. And she said, I know that story. That's why I did it. <laughs> Are you paying attention? Are you willing to share the little that you have to be able to bless another? Um, 
And so here's how this works. We share with others and we find that the blessing comes back to us. We stop to help people and we find that our needs are taken care of as well. God meets our needs as well. Well, how does he do that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, I've never seen God show up like an angelic creature with wings on or speak in an audible voice, but I hear his quiet whisper in my heart. How does God provide? Well, his strategy is through people, through people. And so we offer ourselves to others and the blessing comes back. I know that many of you are involved in the, this multiplication miracle in your own personal lives, out in the community, ways in which you help those who are in need. I see it corporately as a church every month when people sign up to serve to, at, uh, at St. Vincent de Paul and at the food bank. We collect, collected over 300 uh, pounds of food for the Super Bowl of Caring. Our children served uh, at the food bank during the summer. Um, you give them something to eat. That's, that's one of the essential tasks of the church of Jesus Christ. You give them something to eat. Feed the hungry. And at the end of the story, Luke tells us everyone was satisfied. And how many baskets were left over? Twelve. Well, I'll be darned. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Oh, my goodness. One for each disciple. They gave what little they had, and they were all satisfied, and they found the blessings returning. May it be so. Lord, we thank you for your provision in our lives we thank you for challenging us to trust in you as we care for others. Help us to be the answer to other people's prayers and help other people to be the answers to our prayers. Help us to be in tune with your spirit as you speak to us. And even as we try to care for our, ourselves, our, live within our limitations and our boundaries and care for our souls, help us to not be blind to the interruptions that you bring us as well. For we know that it is in, it is in those interruptions that sometimes we find the life that you're, you're leading us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.